I'm going to read to you Matthew 26, verses 30 through 35. That's where we're going to start off with. Matthew 26, verses 30 through 35. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly, I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Now, we need to be reminded of something here tonight, and I want you to hear, this is going to be the basis of pretty much everything we're going to look at tonight. God's word is sure. God's word is true. And what God has said will happen, will happen. No matter how strongly we may feel otherwise. Now, we're going to see many levels of this tonight, but let me say it to you again. God's word is sure. God's word is true. What God has said will happen, no matter how strongly we may feel otherwise. Jesus here, when he says, you all are going to fall away on account of me, you're all going to be leaving me tonight. He's actually quoting from Zechariah chapter 13, verse 7. So put a bookmark here in Matthew 26, and let's go to Zechariah 13, verse 7. In Zechariah 13, verse 7, the, the prophecy said this. It says, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. I will turn my hand against the little ones. So the prophecy here said that the one who's standing next to God, who's his shepherd, who's standing next to him, he's going to be struck, and when he's struck, the flock are going to be scattered. Jesus says, this night you all are going to be scattered. What was Peter's response? Nuh-uh. I don't know about the rest of these bums, but I won't deny you. And as you see in the last verse of our section we've just looked at, they all were like, yeah, what he said, what he said. We're not going to leave you. Well, go to John chapter 16 and let's see what happened. In John chapter 16, Jesus says it again. Here it's recorded, it says in verse 32, John 16, verse 32, Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I'm not alone, for the Father is with me. And then he goes on and tells them, I've said these things to you, that you'd, in me you'd have peace. In the world you're going to have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. So again, Jesus is saying, you all are going to be scattered. Peter says, you are wrong. I know myself I would never do that, and I will not deny you. Jesus is actually, I know you better than you know yourself, and before the rooster crows in the morning, you're going to deny three times you've even known me. This had to have blown Peter's mind. Peter had to have thinking, there's just no possible way. And even to prove it, he says, even if I have to die for you, I won't deny you. And all the rest of the disciples say, yeah, what he said, what he said. Peter even tried to defend Jesus when they came to arrest Jesus. Go with me to Matthew chapter 26, verses 47 through 54. Jump ahead here. While Jesus was still speaking, Judas came, verse 47 of 26, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I kiss is the man sees him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and he kissed him. Now Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you came to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant 
of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send more, me more than 12 legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be filled, fulfilled that it must be so? Again, this one that struck the high priest's servant's ear was Peter. Here, Peter, trying to, I mean, he believed he would not deny Jesus. I'm going to die for you. He pulled out his sword and he tries to defend Jesus when they're coming to arrest him. And Jesus said, hang on for a second, Peter, put your sword away. I don't need your help. He goes, don't you think, don't you understand the authority and the power that I have? If the Father wants, he could send 12 legions of angels and this would all be stopped. But listen to what he says. But how would scripture then be fulfilled that it must be this way? I'm going to say it to you again, folks. You're going to see, hopefully, by the end of tonight, how important it is that we know this. God's word is sure. God's word is true. And what God has said in his word will happen, will happen, no matter how strongly you feel otherwise. Go to Matthew chapter 26, look at verses 69 through 75. Matthew 26, verse 69. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard... And a servant girl came up to him and said, You also were with Jesus, the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I don't know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied it with an oath, I don't know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I don't know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, Before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. A lot of us might even think, don't you think that maybe the first time he said, I don't know him, Peter went, oh, I'm not going to let that happen again. He said three. I'm not going to let three. Be Folks, let me say this to you again, and I want you to hear this because we need to know this because there's actually some things that we need to see hopefully later tonight. God's word is sure. God's word is true. And what God's word has said will happen, will happen, no matter how strongly you feel otherwise. That's something we need to grasp. Because some of us have wrestled with promises from God's word. Some of us have wrestled with the truth of God. And God has said some things, and he's made some promises, and he's made some very sure promises, the scripture says. But some of us struggle with believing those promises because, well, you don't know my situation. You don't know what I've done. You don't know how I feel. You don't know what... Oh, God's word is sure. God's word is true. And what God has said will happen, will happen, no matter how strongly you feel otherwise. Now, let me ask you a question. Peter realizes that Jesus has said this and it's happened. And he goes off and he weeps bitterly. We see in one of the gospel accounts that Jesus actually looks at him at some point after this has happened. And for years, I was told by a preacher that the reason or the way that Jesus looked at Peter was Jesus was really disappointed with Peter and he was really angry with Peter and that's why Peter went away bitterly. But the more I've come to study the scriptures and the more I've come to understand who God is, I'm, I've come to realize differently. Do you think God's upset with us when what he says about us comes true and what we say we will do, we don't? Do you think God's upset with us when, when he does that? By the way, that's a question. He's not. He understands. Let me say something to you. I'm going to put it to you this way. 
Remember, he knows everything. The Bible says in Psalm 139, he knows even the thoughts in our head before they come out of our, on, onto our tongue. There's everything about us he already knows. He knows how it all is going to play out. And he's never surprised because he knows everything. And if disappointment involves surprise, he can never be disappointed. Now, the Bible says he grieved when we sin, but nothing will ever separate us from his love. Isn't that what the scripture says? Oh, you need to keep this in mind because God's word is sure and God's word is true. And what he says will happen will happen no matter how strongly you feel otherwise. How many of us over the years have allowed Satan to lie to us in those times when we've disappointed Jesus in our minds, although we haven't disappointed him because if disappointments involve surprise, he's not surprised. He's grieved, but he hurts for us more than he hurts for himself. He hurts for us because of the things we're going to miss out on. But the Bible says that once we enter into a relationship with him, he seals us and we become his children. And even though he may discipline us, it's never punishment because he's not mad. He's already punished his son. God's already punished his son. And nothing will separate us from God's love. And we need to get that in mind because sometimes we feel otherwise, like he doesn't love us. He's not happy. He doesn't care for me or God's mad. Oh, guy, you got to understand God's word is sure and God's word is true. What he has said will happen no matter how strongly you feel otherwise. Go to John chapter 16, again, to verses 32 and 33. Look at that passage we looked at earlier. We're going to look at it again. I want you to see it again. I just quoted those two verses, read them to you and quoted one. But look again in the context of what Jesus is saying. He's told them about what's going to be going on. And in verse uh, chapter 16, verse 32, he says, Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet I'm not alone, for the Father is with me. Now I have said these things to you, that in me you may have what? Now stop for a second. Don't jump into this passage that we all know in the world of tribulation. Don't miss this. Jesus just said, the hour has come, which was prophesied in Zechariah 13, 7 in which you guys will all be scattered and you'll all go over to your own home and you're going to leave me alone. I've said these things to you so that you'll have... Wait a minute. Jesus is telling them about the fact that they're going to be scattered so that they'll have peace? Does that sound interesting? That goes against our mindset. We think that Jesus would tell us this so we'd get scared and afraid and fix it. Go ahead, Sheila. Mine says... Um, that in me. Yes, exactly. That's the whole key. He's saying, look, you're going to have trouble in this world. You're going to have, well, let's just put it this way. You're going to make bad decisions. You're going to make mistakes. But if you're in me, I can supersede all of that. I can even know you're going to use, do those mistakes, and I can use those mistakes to make you better and stronger and actually turn it into something beautiful. Now, in Luke 22, go to Luke 22. Look at verses 31 through 34. We get a little more clearer picture from Luke's account of this. Luke 22, verse 31 through 34. In Luke 22, verse 31, it says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, by the way, that you is plural, y'all, all y'all, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you. That you, by the way, is singular. 
that your faith may not fail. Now, some of your translations, I prayed, says, I prayed for you, Simon. That word Simon in, in the earliest manuscripts isn't there. But a lot of translators put it in there to clarify that Jesus is talking about Simon. In other words, Jesus says, hey, guys, let me tell you something. Satan has asked for permission to mess with all y'all. But Peter, I've prayed specifically for you in this situation. That when he's allowed to work in your life and you fail, I prayed for you that your faith won't fail. Let me look at what he says. I prayed for you. Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, in other words, you've come back, strengthen your brothers. Now, Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. Now, there's a bunch here I want to pull out. Jesus says, guys, Satan has asked for permission to do something in your life. He wants to prove you as phony and false. By the way, it sounds like the exact same conversation between Satan and God with Job, does it not? Hey, the only reason Job's that way is because he really doesn't love you. But you do this to him and you watch. And, and God allows it. Now, Satan has his reasons, but God uses them for his good. God says, by the way, Satan can't do anything to you guys without my permission. Don't miss that. He's not free to do whatever he wants in each of our lives. He only can do what I allow him. And I've allowed him in y'all's life, but especially in yours, Peter. But my prayer is not that you would pass the test. My prayer is that when you fail the test, you don't quit. Because I'm going to use your failure as an opportunity for growth for you and an opportunity to use you to strengthen your brothers. I shared this with you before. Maybe some of you have heard me say this. Others might not have. For years, it bothered me that God had chosen Paul to go preach to the Gentiles and Peter to the Jews. Peter was just a fisherman. He didn't know the scriptures like Paul did. In my mind, because you know, I'm smarter than God, it, you know, it would be better for Paul to go preach to the Jews. He was the one who was taught by Gamaliel and was the Pharisee of the Pharisees. And he had the ability and the wisdom and the knowledge of the Old Testament to go and tell the Jews who Jesus was and to show from the prophecies that he was the Messiah. And then God says, I want Paul to go preach to the Gentiles who don't know the Old Testament. And I want Peter to go preach to the Jews. I'm thinking these intellectual Jews aren't going to respond to a Peter who's a fisherman. He's going to seem ignorant to them. And one day, all of a sudden, the wisdom of God opened up to my eyes and it hit me. I'm so glad that God used a Jew of the Jews to preach to the Gentiles and say, you don't have to keep the law in order to be saved. It's by grace alone through faith in Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad that that was taught by a Jew of the Jews saying it's not that? It's faith alone. And you know who was the best to preach to his brothers? He said, when you return, strengthen your brothers. He's talking about the nation of Israel. Peter could go back and say to the Jews who had crucified Jesus, I know you denied him. I know you rejected him. I know that you had him killed. Guys, I did worse. I ate with the man. I lived with him for three years. I watched him raise Lazarus from the dead. I watched him raise Zyrus' daughter. I was with him in the garden. I was with him on the Mount of Transfiguration where his glory shined through his flesh. I was with him in a few places that others weren't allowed. I saw things that I wasn't even allowed to talk about. But when push came to shove, even though I knew better, you guys did it in ignorance. I knew better. And I rejected him. And I denied him. And he forgave me 
he'll forgive you. I'm going to take this failure, and if you're in me, and you allow me to do the healing and the reconciling that I want to do, I'm going to use it for good. Folks, I hope there's not a person in this room that doesn't think, that, 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 I hope there's no one in here that thinks they've never messed up. Oh, you never will. I also hope that there's no one in here that thinks because of your mess-ups that God can't use you. You see, God's word is sure. God's word is true. And what God has said will happen. What God has said he will do. What God has promised will happen and is true no matter how strongly you feel differently. Look back at this passage. Jesus has already changed Simon Peter's name to Peter. When he first meets him, we're not going to take the time to walk all through this. When he first meets Peter, his name is Simon. And he says to him, you're Simon, but one day you will be Peter. Later on, when he says, who do men say that I am? And they say all these different names. And he says, who do you say that I am? Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And he says, blessed are you, Simon, son of John. Flesh and blood hasn't opened your eyes, but my father's opened your eyes. And you are now Peter, you're that new creation. You're that new guy. When I first met you, you were Simon, but one day you're going to be Peter. Now is that day. You are now that new creation because you have faith. And because my father's opened your eyes, I see you as that new person now. You're Peter. But then after that, not many days after that, Jesus says, Simon, Simon. Calls him by his old name. Was Jesus having a senior moment? I mean, we all get a little older and forget people's names. I do that all the time. Half the time, if you've got more than one kid, you've called them the wrong name, and you, it's your kids, you know. Maybe Jesus was just having a moment. No. He's doing it to get his attention. Even though he's the new creation, he's still going to look like the old guy every now and then. Anybody else look like the old guy every now and then still? I do. Peter says, I won't deny you. Look at what Jesus says. I tell you what, Peter calls him by his new name. When he tells him you're going to deny me, you're going to deny knowing me three times for the rooster crows, he calls him his new name. He says, listen to me, I see the finished product. Even though you're going to fail, even though you're going to deny me, I see the finished product. I tell you, Peter, for the rooster crows, you're going to deny me. In other words, I know you're not going to look too good for the next few days, and you're going to feel really bad about yourself for the next few days, but let me tell you something. I see the finished product. It doesn't matter how you feel or how strongly you feel that I'm upset with you. Once you are, like you said, Sheila, in me, you, you should be at peace. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 says we're at peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Having been justified, having been saved, putting, being put into Christ, we're at peace with God through Jesus Christ. That's why we don't have to worry when trouble happens anymore. You get cancer or something happening, you lose your job, your mother die. Listen, God's not mad. He's not punishing you. He's already fully punished Jesus, and nothing will separate you from his love. Go to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verses 31 and following. Romans chapter 8, verse 31, Paul says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, 
but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? By the way, before we go any further, when Jesus died for your sins, was that after you were a believer or before you were a believer? When Jesus died for your sins, when that was you were already a Christian or were you an enemy of God? If God sent his son to die for you when you were his enemy, Romans 5 says, and when you were powerless, if he did that for you when you were on his bad side, if you will, how much more now, having been reconciled, shall we be spared from his wrath, Paul says in Romans 5. So if he did this, if he didn't spare his own son, but he gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charges against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is to condemn? By the way, I don't know if you notice or not, the Father doesn't judge. John chapter 5, verse 22, Jesus said, The Father judges no one, but he's handed all judgment over to the Son. Jesus is the one who's judging whether or not we get into heaven. Who's to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, and more than that, who was raised and is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, God, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Oh, go to John 21. Let me show you something even cooler. By the way, what had Peter promised in our passage for tonight that he would be willing to do for Jesus? To die for him. Go to John 21. Look at verses 1 through 19. This is after his resurrection. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, the two, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Now, just as it was breaking, as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples didn't know that it was Jesus. Now, Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord... He put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal file, a fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. Now Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And all there were so many, the net was not torn. Now Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so would the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Now when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? In other words, I remember a guy that said he loved me more than everybody else. I don't know about the rest of these guys, he said, remember? But I love you the most. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. 
Now he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Now, for the sake of time, I don't have time to unpack this whole section. I could take a whole sermon or two or three or seven on this passage by itself. But as they realize it's Jesus on the shore, Peter wanted to be the first one to shore. He didn't have to wait. He didn't want to wait till the boat and the net of fish were dragged in. He actually jumped into the water to be the first one to shore. They followed him in the boat. When they get to the shore, Jesus says, hey, we're around a fire here. This fire reminds me of another time I saw you around a fire. Peter, when did I last see you around a fire? By the way, when did we last see Peter around a fire? When he was denying Jesus. Do you really love me the most? Does I remember a guy said he loved me the most? Peter says, I really do love you. Jesus says, feed my sheep. Let's get going from here. He doesn't say, then why'd you deny me? He didn't bring up the past. He said, let's get going. Do you really love me? I do. Let's get going from here. Ask him a third time. And I think the third time is when Peter, it clicks for Peter. Do you hear how he words it? Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus, I almost picture Jesus winking at him and saying, hey, you're right. I do know you love me. Let's get going from here. You're cool. You're good with me. You ready for this? And then Peter and Jesus go for a walk. We know this because the next verses show us that John's following. While Peter and Jesus are going for this walk, Jesus says, remember that guy who said he would die for me? You will. And he showed him that he's going to be crucified. That's why the scripture says you're going to be led where you don't want to go and you're going to stretch out your arms. And that's why the scripture says by this he showed him by what kind of death he was going to die. Not just that he would die, but what kind of death. And Jesus lovingly says to him, I know the finished product. You might not have looked good the last few days, but you're going to be all right. And not only that, that guy that you wanted to be, that you thought you were, you'll get there. You'll get there. I love the fact that his name was, in this passage, Simon Peter. That's a good reminder. I still got a little bit of my flesh that I'm wrestling with. I'm the new creation. I still have a little bit of the old. We all want to be in the new creation right now and not see any more of the flesh. But the Bible says you're still going to. We wrestle against flesh and blood. We get to daily lay our flesh on the altar. And folks, I want to remind you of something. As believers, if God said he'll finish what he started, he'll finish what he started. Well, Jim, it ain't looking like it's going to happen. His word is sure. His word is true. And what he said will happen will happen no matter how strongly you feel otherwise. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. Look at verses 17 through 22. Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to their hardness of their heart. They've become callous. They've given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that's not the way you learned Christ. 
assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. So put off, you are to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through the deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now stop for a second. Is Paul writing to believers or unbelievers here? He's writing to believers. Now he's, he puts in there that there might be an unbeliever or two in the room, in case you understand, you know, you put, you put on Christ. But he's writing to believers and he's saying, you guys need to put on this new self and you need to be renewed in your mind. But Romans 12 tells us that that happens on a daily basis. We're to offer our bodies daily as a living sacrifice, renewing our minds. Folks, let me say this to you. If you're born again, yes, you're a new creation, but you're still in the process of being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And there are going to be days that you feel like you're making progress. There are going to be days you feel like you're going backwards. And you need to, as Christians, understand the truth of God's word. What he has started, he'll finish. And if he's promised that he'll empower us to do what it is he has us to do, he's done, going to do that as well. And we'll get to that hopefully tonight as well. But for right now, keep this in mind. We have to choose on a daily basis whether or not we're going to live like Simon or we're going to live like Peter. We can't live like Peter if we've never been born again and we're still Simon. But if we become Simon Peter and we're that new creation still wrestling with the flesh, we have to choose whether we're going to live like Simon today or we're going to live like the new creation of Peter. Do you understand? But if you don't, if you are Peter and you choose to live like Simon, listen to what the scripture says. Verse 25, therefore, having put away all falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we're members of one another. Let's be angry and don't sin, and don't let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve this Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Did you catch that? Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. He's not angry at you. He's not surprised when you do this stuff that he's saying, put it away now. But when you do it, he's grieved. Why? Because, well, you're missing out on so much more as parents. If you were wanting to, to bless your kids with a treat, and you had a treat planned and surprised to surprise them with, but all of a sudden they started doing something that was not rewardable, and you knew you had to withhold the blessing now, you were grieved, were you not? That you're like, you know what? Oh, I, wish I, didn't, I wish I didn't have to withhold the blessing. But the Bible actually says that God honors those who honor him. He blesses those who bless him. And the Bible actually says, let me teach you the fear of the Lord. Because those who fear him lack no good thing. If you walk in obedience to him and you do what he says, he will bless you. Folks, yeah, there are people that have taken this truth to an unbiblical realm where he promises you'll never be sick and you're supposed to be a millionaire. That's not what the Bible teaches. But don't miss this truth. Throughout the scripture, God told the nation of Israel, if you obey my commands... You'll, you'll have babies, you'll have good flocks, your, her, your herds will be good, your crops will be good, you'll have an abundance, you'll be overflowing. I'll take care of you, and not only will I take care of you, I'll give you extra so that you can take care of others who are around you or in need. I will bless you in such a way that people will know my hand is upon your life. That is biblical truth. Psalm 1 says that the man who meditates on God's word day and night will be like a tree that's transplanted by the streams of water, his 
will produce its fruit in its season, when it's time, his leaf will not wither. And listen, don't miss this. And everything he does will prosper. God's word is sure. God's word is true. And what God has promised and said will happen, will happen, no matter how strongly you feel otherwise. It's time we started to really believe what God has said. But when you miss, when you don't do what he asks you to do in these areas of obedience, he's not going to kick you out. He's already sealed you for the day of redemption. Did you catch that? Don't grieve the spirit of God by which you were sealed for the day of redemption. You're never going to lose your salvation because of that. You're just going to miss out on a lot of blessings. The Bible actually says that there comes a point where a believer commits what the Bible calls in 1 John, the sin unto death. You're going to go to heaven. You're just going to get there earlier because you're doing more damage for God than you are for good. And you're going to miss out on a lot of blessings. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 said there are those who don't build on the foundation of Jesus with gold, silver, and precious stones, but they use wood, hay, and stubble. They're still going to be saved. They will suffer loss. When God is grieved when we don't walk in obedience to him and we walk in the flesh, it's because he hurts for us and what we miss out on. Oh, but let me tell you something about God. This same God that sent the locust on the nation of Israel says in the book of Joel chapter 2 that when they repent, he'll repay them for the years the locusts have eaten. Isn't that awesome? All that they missed out on, once their heart returns, boom, he bombs them. And bless going to bless them. Folks, I hope you understand who God is a little bit more tonight and really understand what he said is going to happen. Now, go to Ephesians 1, look at verses 13 and 14. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Let me ask you a question. How many people here have trusted that what God has said was true. You've heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. How many of you have believed and trusted that you're saved through faith alone in Jesus Christ? All right, put your hands down. The Bible says those of you that have done this, you've been sealed by God and guaranteed an inheritance. By the way, who's making the guarantee to you? Is he ever going to break his promise? Is he going to try to find a loophole to get out of the guarantee? It's not who he is. Are there times you feel like maybe God is upset with you and you might have blown it. Oh yeah, Satan's really good at convincing us of that. He's made a promise that you're his and you're sealed. You're his and you're sealed. Why don't you start living out of the joy of that instead of the fear? 2 Timothy 1.7, God's not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of love, power, and sound mind. Go to Romans chapter 8. Look at verses 1 through 4 and then verses 9 through 17. Romans 8 verses 1 through 4. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Again, Sheila, I'm glad you brought out that point. In me, you'll have peace. If you're in a relationship with him, for those who are in Christ, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. 
in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Jim, that sounds great, that no condemnation thing, but look at that last verse. It's for those who walk according to the Spirit, not according to the flesh. There's days I walk in the flesh. No, 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 let the Scripture keep speaking. Jump down to verse 9. But if Christ is in you, sorry, go to verse 9. I jumped to verse 10. Verse 9, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who doesn't have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body's dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So then, my brothers, we're debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you didn't receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Did you catch that? In other words, he says, for those who walk according to the flesh, they don't have this promise that they're protected and covered. But those who walk according to the Spirit, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Because all those righteous requirements of the law have been met, not by us, but by Jesus. And since we've been put in Jesus, we're covered by His blood and we're righteous in God's sight. Now, if you have His Spirit, you're not in the flesh, you are in the Spirit. Now, are there days that we still let this flesh win? Yes. But that doesn't mean I'm in the flesh. I act like Simon, even though I'm Peter. But if he, you all raised your hand and said that you trusted him, and you agreed with me that the promise said that he sealed you and guaranteed your inheritance, all these promises are yours. He'll finish what he started. He doesn't want you to fear his punishment or his judgment. He wants you to know now that you're his child and your co-heirs, as it goes on to say, and he says this, his spirit's going to confirm in your spirit that you're his child. And therefore now we should be living, knowing that we're Christ's, let's start living that way now. Let's not see how close to sin we can get and still be okay with God. Let's just see how close to Jesus we can get. And by the way, when you set your mind on the walking in the spirit, you know, Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, if we live according to the spirit, we won't gratify the desires of the flesh. For too long, Christians have said, is this sin if I do this? Or if I do this, is it sin? And they're asking, how close can I get to sin? I'm going to say, quit looking at how close you can get to sin. And look how close you can get to Jesus. And all of a sudden, those desires of the flesh will start to fall away. But we have to be renewed in our mind. You might actually let a light click on tonight where you get it. Guess what? Tomorrow morning, you're going to have to have this same battle again. You might actually have a day where you've been listening to the Lord, talking to the Lord, praying in your work. You drive home and the traffic's horrible and you're not bothered by it because you know what? You're worshiping the Lord. You're singing with the music on the radio. That doesn't mean tomorrow morning you're going to have that same attitude when you get up to drive back to work. That's why it's a daily process of learning to walk in the spirit and not, get, not in the flesh. But listen again. If Christ is in you, you're not in the flesh. You're in the spirit. Well, Jim, I don't feel... Oh. Do I have to say it again? His word is sure. His word is true. And what he said is going to happen no matter how strongly you feel differently. Go to Psalm 56.
I love this. As you read this, you're going to see David is definitely feeling an attack. He's actually being attacked by many. This is what he says. He says, be gracious, Psalm 56, verse 1. Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me. All day long an attacker oppresses me, opposes me. My enemies trample on me all day long. For many attack me proudly. When I'm afraid, I will put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise. In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh, human beings, do to me? All day long they injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife, they lurk, they watch my steps as they have waited for my life. For, they, for their crime, will they escape? In wrath, cast down the peoples, O God. Now you've kept count of my tossings. You've put my tears in your bottle. Are they not written in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know, that God is for me. In God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you, for you have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. David, I don't know if you know it, had had a lot of people against him all the time. It's not easy to be the king, because everybody else wants to be king. And back then, one of the best ways to become king was to kill the king. And not only did he have all these enemies, he also, in the previous psalm, had talked about how a close friend and a near relative, actually, was against him. He even had sons wanting him to be put to death so they could become king. But look what David, as bad as he feels, as much as he's under attack, he puts his eyes on God and he says, you know what, I've cried, but you're keeping track of my tears. And you, I trust, you're going to deal with them. I look to you, and you know what? I'm not worried about all these people that are out to get me. By the way, that's exactly how Jesus lived his life on this earth. Were there not lots of people against him while he was on the earth? People even hate him to this day. But all while he was on the earth, when everybody was against him, he was like, relax. It'll be okay. God's the Father's got it. We're going to be all right. I have to be reminded of this ourselves. Some of you know, some of you don't know. A couple weeks ago, my wife was sitting at a red light on a Sunday night, just waiting to come home. She wasn't far from home. And a guy comes up behind her without stopping and rear ends her. So much so that she was shoved into the car in front of her. She called 911, of course, then called me and said, I've been rear ended. I hustled over there. And by the time I got there, the par- and I, I was only four minutes away. By the time I got there, the paramedics had already come and there were so many police. I'm thinking, what in the world? She had actually been hit by someone hard enough that she was shoved into the guy in front of her, and the guy in front of her happened to be a police officer. There was a lot of police that showed up. And we had to today, because it's been a whole lot of insurance stuff with this other guy's insurance, take our car for the first time to the repair shop to get it assessed for what it's going to cost. And they told us, if the repair supersedes the amount of the value of your vehicle, we're going to total it. And we don't want it to be totaled, because it's way more valuable to us as it is, not damaged, of course, but, you know, as our vehicle, if they give us what it's worth, we're going to end up having to spend more money to try to find something even close. And I find myself falling back into that, oh, what's gonna, what if they say they're just going to total it? We're going to have to pull money out of our bank account to try to get something even close. And Becky, a few times, has had to say, the same God that blessed us with that van can bless us again. You see what happened to Jim? I took my eyes off of the Lord and I started to look at what was happening around me and I started thinking about man and fear and I had to be reminded by my wonderful wife who says, put your eyes back on God. We're going to be fine. He's promised he's going to take care of us. He's going to be all right. Folks, that's why we need to spend time together because there's some days I have to remind her of these truths. 
There's some days you're going to be in faith and others are going to be weak. That's why the Bible says we're to encourage one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. But what are, how do we do we encourage each other? We remind people of what he has said and what is true and what is sure. No matter how we feel, know what God has said and you will have peace. By the way, our feelings are so strong, but they will never, ever supersede God's word. Now, this is also why we need God to be the one we rely on to live out our Christian lives. You see, we may feel we can live for Jesus. Didn't Peter feel like that? Was Peter saved when he said he could live for Jesus? Yes, he was. Remember, he'd already become Peter. And even though he was saved, he thought he could live for Jesus and die for Jesus, and he was sure he was going to do it. And Jesus says, actually, you don't know yourself as well as I know you, much as you think you will. I think Jesus put it this way. He'd already told him this earlier that night. Go to John chapter 15. Go to John chapter 15 and look at what Jesus has said to him. He said actually to all of the disciples in John 15 verses 1 through 5. He says, I'm the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. And as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. He says, look, if you're in me and you're not producing fruit, this takes away is not a real good picture of the word. It actually means he picks it up. In other words, if you were growing grapes back then, do you know anything about growing grapes? When the branch grows down along the ground, it won't produce any grapes because it needs air and sunlight. So the gardener won't just cut that branch off first thing. What they'll do is they'll pick it up, they'll wash it off, and they'll tie it up on a trellis or something so that air and sunlight in the hopes that it'll produce fruit. And that's that same Greek word arrow where we see in John, uh, Matthew chapter 14, verse 20, where Jesus says, this fed the 5,000, and the scripture says they picked up 12 basketfuls. That's that same Greek word that's translated takes away here. And we also see in Matthew 27, verse 32, that Jesus is being taken, he's carrying his cross and he can't take it anymore. And they forced a man named Simon to carry, to pick up Jesus' cross. That's that same word, arrow here, that's translated, takes away. I think Jesus is saying to them, if you're in me and you're not producing fruit, the first thing I'm going to do is pick you up so that you do produce fruit. And if you are producing fruit, you're going to go through a time of pruning so that you produce more fruit. There are those who aren't branches, and they're going to be cut off, and we're not worrying about them. He says, you're already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. But even though you're already clean, you need to learn how to abide in me. Even though you're saved, you have to learn how to walk in the Spirit. Even though you're born again, and you have the Spirit of God within you, you have all these great and precious promises, but you have to know how to partake of them, how to believe them, and to live in that faith in the same way in which you receive Jesus as Lord, Colossians 2, verse 6. In the same way in which you receive Jesus as Lord, walk in Him. Folks, we need to believe that what he said is true. And he said, apart from me doing it through you, even though you're saved, you can do nothing. Go to Matthew 26. The next verses are Jesus modeling himself. The fact that apart from the Father, he can't do it. Look at verse 36. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter 
and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and he found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Why did Jesus go off into the garden and pray that night? Because he too was living just like us. And he had to yield himself on a daily basis to the Father and his power. And even though Jesus was God, he humbled himself and he took the role of a servant. And he only did what the Father had him do. He only did what the Father had him say. He only allowed the Father to do his work through him. And so Jesus is modeling for us, not just because it's a modeling, but he too, because of his humanity, would have fallen into flesh if he didn't let the Father empower him. So Jesus went and said, Father, I need your help. Father, I need your help. If you know, if you were to go back, we're not going to take the time, but if you go back to Matthew chapter 4, you remember when he's in the wilderness that first time, after he's baptized, he's led of the Spirit straight into the wilderness to be tested and tempted by the devil. Good grief. He just got baptized. He didn't have time for the party. And God leads him right into the wilderness. If you're producing fruit, you're going to go through pruning so you can produce more fruit. He's gone through a time of pruning, and, but remember, Satan comes and tempts him. And each time, what does Jesus do? He said, my father has said, God's word has said, my father has said, God's word has said. And then if you go to verse 13, I think it is in Matthew 4, when Satan leaves him, the angels came and ministered to him and strengthened him. Jesus himself even needed to spend much time in prayer. What did he say to his disciples? Guys, you don't understand. You need to watch. You need to pray. The spirit in you is willing and ready to go. But the flesh is weak. And if you try to live out your Christian life in your own power, in your own strength, without prayer, without time in the word, without believing what God has said, you will fail. God's not going to kick you out of heaven. He's still going to make you his. But you're going to miss out. You're going to miss out on so much that God wants to do in you and through you. That's why, go to Philippians 2, a very familiar passage. Look at verses 12 and 13. Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more now in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, take seriously this the salvation you've been given. Why? Because it's God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Don't miss that. God not only, not only will empower you to do what he has for you to do, he's the one who will give you the what? The will, the desire. So if you're actually not even desiring to do the will of God, that's okay. Because apart from God, you can't even desire to do the will of God. But I'm a new creation. Yeah, but you still got this flesh that you got to wrestle with. 
And Jesus, even though he was God, had that same flesh. But he knew how on a daily basis to spend time with the Father. He meditated on the Father's word. He spent time in prayer and he allowed the Father to empower him and to live his life through him. And he lived according to the word of God and the leadership of the Spirit of God. That's why when the crowds would say, hey, everybody's looking for you, let's go to the next town. He was doing what the Father told him to do when the Father told him to do it. And Jesus was able to live the sinless life, not just because he was God, but also because even though he was man, he lived in the power of the Spirit as a man. Now, you and I aren't going to do it perfectly. The Bible actually says that we still, if we say we don't sin, we lie, and the truth is not in us. But even though we're not going to be sinless as Christians, if we learn how to walk in the Spirit, we will sin less. You won't be sinless, but you should sin less. But you have to believe what the Scripture says. Go to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to read verses 10 and 12, and we're going to jump to verse 18. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Has anybody else figured out yet why Peter, as sure as he was that he wasn't going to deny Jesus, did? Has anybody figured it out yet? According, this verse tells us why. He was wrestling against who? He wasn't wrestling against flesh and blood. Yeah, he was wrestling against the powers of darkness. In, the, in other words, he's wrestling against Satan. Is, are you going to win if you wrestle against Satan? Never. No, the Bible says resist Satan and he'll flee. No, no, no. The Bible says submit yourself therefore to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee. Satan doesn't run from you and me. He runs from the God that's in us. That's why those guys who are trying to cast out demons by the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches... The demon goes, we know who Jesus is, and we've heard of Paul, but we have no idea who you are, and you have no authority because you don't know him. Folks, listen to me. We need to put on the full armor of God on a daily basis and fight in the power of his strength because we're wrestling against not flesh and blood. The battle's not against your spouse or anybody else. The issue is there's a spiritual battle going on, and sometimes God allows Satan to do things in our lives. God's purpose is strength and growth. Satan's purpose is to make us feel like we're failures and quit. I think 1 John 4, verse 4 puts it this way. Greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. Go to James. Well, actually, jump to verse 18 here in Ephesians 4 real quick. He's talked about the armor of God. In verse 18, he says, well, go to verse 17 and 18. He says, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Did you catch that? He's already talked about how we put on faith that helps us distinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And we're to take the word of God and the helmet, the knowledge of our salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray when? All the time. That's what the Bible actually says we're to pray without ceasing. Well, how am I going to do my job? How am I going to eat? Oh, you just still don't get it. If you think prayer time is now I lay me down to sleep, you don't get it. If you think prayer time is, Lord, thank you for this food, you don't get it. 
If you think prayer time is in church, you don't get it. The Bible actually says we're to be walking with an understanding of the Spirit. We're to be practicing the presence of God if He's always with us. Well, yes, there's value in taking time away and locking ourselves away and spending time in prayer with our word, with the word of God. But actually, we need to learn how to talk to God as we go. I don't know if you guys notice or not, but as I preach and as I teach, I'm talking to God the whole time, listening as he says, go here, go there. I have things in my notes that he's saying, not now, save it for later, move it later in the study. And I'm trying to let him lead me as I teach. You need to learn, that's something you'll learn, how to walk and talk with God as you go through your life. And you start to experience that joy and that peace. You'll actually have patience with people that normally would set you off. But you're in the middle of a conversation with God. And when you're in the middle of a conversation with God and somebody steps on your toe, you're actually not going to react the same way you used to. We'll close tonight with James chapter 4. James chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Some of you are thinking, James, I don't think you skipped any of the verses that you thought you had to post. No, I did. I skipped a lot of them. Go to James chapter 4. Look at verses 6 and 7. Ah, let's back up real quick. Let's go to verse 4. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it's to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? That's that grieving the spirit. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Did you catch that? God gives grace to who? The humble. God gives grace to those who say, I want to live for you, but Lord, unless you help me do it, I won't be able to. The sooner we acknowledge our weakness, the sooner we'll seek his help. The spirit is willing. Spirit's ready to go, wanting to help, but he won't force himself. He's waiting for you to submit to him and to trust him. Like I said earlier, I thank God for a wife who would remind me of what God has said and who God is. I know these things. I preach it. I teach it. We've lived it our whole lives. But I, too, still sometimes fall into that fear. We all do. I used to think, man, what a failure I am. Here I am preaching and teaching God's word for all these years. And of all people, I should know better. Why would I ever doubt? I used to beat myself up over it because I thought that the longer I walk with God, the less and less and less I'd sin till I get to this point that I'd never sin anymore. And then it hit me when I was reading about Jesus one day. Jesus was in the garden right before the cross. Was there anybody closer to God than Jesus at that moment? No, because he not only was human, he was God himself. And Jesus was tempted not to go to the cross right in the last minutes, even before his death. And it hit me, a light came on. If Jesus was tempted, even at that point, I'm going to be tempted the rest of my life. So I'm not going to think that I'm going to get so close that I'll never be tempted again. No, no, no. I'm going to be tempted. and Hopefully, by God's grace, if I yield to him, actually, no, hopefully, I know it'll happen. If I yield to him on a daily basis, he'll give me the victory. Remember, that same power that rose Jesus from the dead lives within you and me. And if he gave life to Jesus' mortal body, he'll also give that same life to yours and mine. The question is, do we believe it or do we go by how we feel?
I'm going to say it one more time. God's word is sure. God's word is true. And what he has said will happen, no matter how strongly you may feel otherwise. I love you. Thanks for coming.